midweek um, Shepherd's Chapel Bible study. We have been and will continue to be for a while in the backs. We're in Acts chapter 19, and we'll pick up momentarily after we pray and ask God's blessing upon our time together. Today's recording is only on Spotify. We're not doing YouTube today, and we'll be resuming um, with Shepherd's Chapel after we're going to be taking at least the next two weeks off, starting next week, possibly a third week, but I'll let everybody know about that, but definitely not for the next two weeks, the 20th and the 27th, and then after that we'll go from there. But we are here today, and let's pray. Father, we thank you again for hearing us when we pray. We are a needy people, and we ask that your spirit would fulfill the needs that we have. Help us to be good listeners, but even if we're the best listeners, unless you would take your word and supernaturally make it come alive to us and change our lives, it will be uh, an exercise in futility. And so we commit our time to you. We pray your blessing upon us and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Years ago, I was at someone's home with my family, and I was talking with a woman who worked for a nonprofit organization, and she was a Christian lady, and we were both kind of bemoaning the state of affairs in a lot of Christendom and a lot of what we saw as just general laziness among people that called themselves Christians and, and churches that called themselves Christians. In terms of the things that just didn't get done, that could be gotten done with any kind of regular basis and effort. She made a great observation. I hadn't really thought of it before then. But I've thought about it a lot since then. She said, you know, Bill, I think that a lot of folks that are Christians would be far more involved if they are than they are in doing the things that God wants us to do in terms of just Christian duty and Christian living and so forth if they could just have their TV sets with them. And I just kind of looked at her and laughed. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, a lot of people, whether it's their TV sets or their magazines, or now we live in a day and age, whether it's a person's computer or tablet, cell phone, etc. There's competition, isn't there? As far as God's concerned. God says, I want how much of your attention? All of your attention. And what are we willing to say? Hang on, Lord, I gotta, I gotta check. I got a few, few texts. I need to check on. Wait a minute, Lord. Got some emails. Let me check on those emails. Uh, you know, here's a news blurb. I'm getting coming in on the computer. And the point that she was making, her name was Mary. But the point that Mary was making was simply this: If Christians could figure out how to do whatever else it was that they wanted to do, 
in terms of their entertainment and then do their work for God, a lot more would get done. But too often you just can't do that. I mean, you have to actually turn TV off if you're going to go visit somebody in the hospital. You're going to have to shut the iPhone down if you're going to write somebody birthday card or get well card and say something meaningful in it other than get well soon it takes time I know just from the work that I do it takes time in the evenings when I want to do something else and instead I'm writing an email to somebody who's donated money to Shepherd's Chapel I'm writing an email to our board. I'm making phone calls to individuals that I need to keep in contact with. When I could be doing something else. I could be out for a walk with my wife. I could be out in the backyard playing with my dogs. We could be going for a ride somewhere. But instead, there's certain things that have to get done. I understand that. I wear a couple of different hats. And in the wearing of the couple of different hats, there are different responsibilities. And some of you know what I'm talking about with that. Some of you perhaps don't. But the point remains as to what is it are we committed to? Now, I say that because part of what we're dealing with here in chapter 19 of Acts is the problem of idolatry. And the problem of idolatry is simply this. The first commandment in what's called the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is this. You will have no other gods before me. In other words, nothing comes ahead of me. If you're a guy and you have a girlfriend, your girlfriend doesn't come ahead of me. If you're married, your spouse doesn't come ahead of me. If you're a parent, you may love your children. They may be sweet. They may be fun. And you just may love them to pieces, but the kids don't come ahead of me. You have a bank account, and you got investments, and you got things that are important to you, and, and all different kinds of possessions. Those things don't come ahead of me. And when we're considering those things, we need to remember that Because again, God is saying nothing, nothing, no other gods before me. Well, here in chapter 19, we have at least a few things that are other gods. We were introduced last week to the sons of Sceva. They saw it was a pretty neat trick with demons being cast out of people. So they decide we're going to try to cast demons out of people. They wanted some kind of religious power. They wanted some kind of religious notoriety. I laugh at things like that. Quite frankly, some of them are downright silly. I remember my first exposure to that when I was in seminary and in Center City Philadelphia and West Philadelphia 
where my school was. I drove there on a regular basis. Tough neighborhood. And do you all know what I mean when, you know, I, I say cars would double park. So there would be people parking in parking spaces. And there would be other people that just saw themselves as important enough that I'm just going to double park. And what that meant was, even if there was no parking space, they were going to park their car. They were going to put on the emergency flashers. And they were going to run into the store. They were going to run into the school for a moment. They were going to run into the office for a moment. And I always was amused, particularly, when it was a car that had a bumper sticker on it, either on the right side or on the left side, usually small letters, maybe a bumper sticker no bigger than this. But you know what it said? Clergy. What's clergy? Pastor. Minister. I'm important. I get to double park like that because I'm clergy. And I would laugh at that because I thought if anybody ought to be parking two blocks away and walking, buddy, it ought to be you so that somebody else can park there. Now, I say that, but at the same time, now I have to readily admit something. <clears throat> Recently, I found myself Late in the day, going to a hospital, and I had to go in the... I am, in fact, clergy. But I'm talking about the individual that was going to double park and leave his car there. Different. Okay? But some people like that. Some people like to be known that I'm the pastor. There's a church that I go past on a regular basis near my house. The parking space closest to the door of the church is the pastor's parking spot. What's amusing to me is the parking space next to the pastor's parking spot is Mrs. Pastor's parking spot. But they don't call her Mrs. Pastor. They call her the First Lady of the church. And I thought, isn't that a little highfalutin? She's the woman who's married to the pastor. No, no special place. She is the woman married to the pastor. But some churches make it like a big deal. And they make where the pastor's parking a big deal. Now... That's just an aside. In addition to the sons of Sceva, who wanted religious power, there are individuals that wanted not just power, but money associated with a couple of different things. There were individuals that were doing magic. And at first glance, when we read the section, we think, oh no, and then we read it and we understand what's happening. And it's actually rather remarkable. Let me read this section here, going past the sons of Sceva and how they 
were addressed by the evil spirit. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit, um, they leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. Now, how many of you like magic? I like magic. I like a good magic show. We're not talking about that kind of magic here. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Twitter talks about confessing and divulging their practices. We're not talking about the Las Vegas show. And I, I was at one show years ago. Pretty crazy, actually. How many of you remember, this goes back a ways, some of you won't, some of you may. There were two magicians, Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy, among other things, had in their act white tigers. And the tigers actually lived with them on their compound. And the tigers were part of their act. And I went to a Siegfried and Roy show on a business trip in Las Vegas many, many years ago. And there were a couple things that were pretty wild. One was, I think it was Roy, goes up on stage and he gets in a sphere that was transparent, small enough that he could crouch in it and clear enough that you could see him. And all of a sudden it lifts off the ground and it literally flies over the audience. Had no idea how that happened. But here's what happened. He then is at the back and up on stage, Siegfried brings out a white tiger. He puts a white tiger in a cage. Now there's another cage in the back of the auditorium where Roy is. And they weren't doing abracadabra, but they were doing something like that. They're distracting the audience and they're saying something for a moment. And when whatever the words were that they were saying were done, which was very short, by the way, all of a sudden, Siegfried's up on stage. He lifts up the curtain where the cage is. Roy is in the cage on the stage. At the other end, there's a white tiger in a cage in the back of the auditorium. How did they do that? I don't know. But it wasn't magic. It was illusion. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about magic acts that appear at different places in the Bible, one of which is, do you remember the episode in the life of Moses? Moses is going with his brother 
<coughs> to appear before Pharaoh. And while they're in front of Pharaoh, they're talking with Pharaoh, they're telling Pharaoh, God is saying, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, have nothing of it. And what ends up happening is they're doing certain things. And the magicians of Egypt are doing them as well. Moses takes his staff. He throws it on the ground. What happens? becomes a snake. How did it become a snake? By magic? No, by the power of God. However, the magicians of Egypt do what? They take staffs and they throw them on the ground. And what happens? They become snakes. And then Moses' snake swallows up their snake. There are other places in Kings. That's one place, for example. Also in Daniel, where there's reference to individuals doing acts of what's called divination or magic acts, magic works. And what we're talking about there is not the illusions, like what you'd see in Las Vegas, but people somehow tapping into the demonic powers that are around us. Do you ever think about those things? See, we live in a day and age in which we've grown up, when we think about the devil, what, what's our generally first exposure to the devil? Somebody like in a red costume, or red, horns, tail, kind of comic bookish. The Bible never talks about the devil like that. The Bible, in fact, talks about the devil as somebody who appears like an angel of light. In fact, somebody, when you think about it, that was at least appealing enough, talking with Adam and Eve, that they were deceived, weren't they? See, we need to understand we live in a world in which we all see each other, but we live in a world in which, in addition to seeing one another, interacting with each other, there's a world around us that's invisible, in which there are rulers and authorities and powers. God talks about. Jesus talks about. When Jesus is on the scene, there are individuals that he comes in contact with. Do you remember the episode where he comes across um, a man who is possessed? And when he asks the man who is possessing him, the response that he gets is, we are legion. In other words, there are many demons within him. And they say to him, in fact, they challenge him. They beg of him. Don't throw us into the abyss before our time. So what does Jesus do? He casts out the demons from that individual and sends them into a herd of pigs. 
And what do the pigs do? The pigs go crashing over a cliff. And the men are just beside themselves because now they've just lost their livelihood. But the point, the lesson that we learn there is demon possession is very real. Very real. We have another place that I referred to before, a man in the Gadarenes. And nobody can deal with him. He's crazy. He cuts himself, he's naked, he's chained up. Why? Because he's going to be harmed himself or somebody. He's demon-possessed. What happens? He's confronted by Jesus. All of a sudden, he's in his right mind. I'm often asked the question, have been for as long as I've worked in association with folks with different challenges. Pastor Bill, do you think that, and the question often goes like this, do you think that people who have mental challenges are demon-possessed? And my response has been the same over the years. Some of them probably yes. Most of them probably not. Most of them probably not. But some, perhaps, yes. And where they're going with that question is, when they see somebody acting oddly, they just assume that it's demon possession. When in reality is, the oddity is not much different than my inability to see clearly without my glasses. I can't. My eyes don't work the right way. A friend of mine has two hearing aids, one in both ears. One in each ear, I should say. Can't hear without them at all. 50 years old. How come? Because his ears don't work. Here's somebody who's acting crazy. Why is he acting crazy? Because his mind doesn't work. But that's way different than the person who's demon-possessed. I've never seen demon-possession. I know people that I find reliable, sources that I use on a regular basis, who would swear that they've seen demon possession firsthand. And what they mean by that is individuals that no matter what you do and what you say, these are individuals that are going to blaspheme God, blaspheme his Christ, talk ill of the word of God, want to have nothing to do with anything that's religious or Christian, who in fact are demon-possessed. Well, let me continue with this particular section here, because what you have is Luke is talking about individuals who are part of this practice of performing magic arts, who apparently have become Christian. And here are individuals, they, they bring their books together and they, they create a bonfire. And they burn them. And it says, and they counted the value of them and found it. It came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, I've checked on that. 
the type of silver coins that were being talked about there, probably a little less than day's pay. The amount of money that we're talking about, if you put it in today's dollars, how many of you think $1,000 is a lot of money? 5000 10000 20000 What we're talking about here in Acts chapter 19 is a bunch of individuals who are practicing magic arts who decided that serving God is more important than us continuing to do this. And these things are not pleasing to God. We're willing to give them up. We're going to burn them up to the tune of probably in the vicinity of about $30,000 worth of, quote, magic books. When I was younger, I remember one of the earliest things that I did, and looking back now, it was an overreaction, but I did it, and a number of people that I knew that were new to the faith, they did it too. You know, we were all into hard rock, acid rock, drug rock, and all of a sudden we're new to the faith, so what are we doing? We're taking all those old albums and we're throwing them away. You know, I look back now and think if I had some of those old albums from way back then, I could sell them for thousands of dollars because of what they're going for today. But it would probably be the equivalent from the standpoint that some of the stuff that I listened to had nothing to do with God, had nothing to do with honoring God. In fact, it was awful music, just awful, awful music. But I just really enjoyed it. I just really enjoyed it. Well, these are individuals that were making a living practicing magic arts, and now they've become Christians and of their own volition. We're getting rid of this stuff. But we're not finished because perhaps the biggest situation with regard to idolatry has to do with the Greek god Artemis. Her Roman equivalent would be Diana. She was the goddess of the hunt. She was the goddess of virtue and chastity of uh, young beings, whether they be young people or uh, young uh, animals. And she was a big deal, especially in Ephesus. Now, imagine this building a hundred times bigger than what it is. I have no idea what the exact dimensions were of the Temple of Diana. But the Temple of Diana was a big enough deal that it became known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had columns. Everybody know what a column is? Okay. If you've ever been down to uh, Old City, particularly um, uh, the, the first bank of the U.S., you know, it's an old bank with um, uh, Gothic columns. This temple had 160 columns that were 60 feet tall. To put 60 feet tall in perspective, 
This ceiling here at its peak, I think is about 30 feet tall. So double it. 160 columns holding up the roof was an amphitheater. What was it for? It was a place where people went to worship Diana. And one of the individuals referred to here is a fellow by the name of Demetrius. Demetrius is a silversmith. And what did he do? He was the guy that made silver shrines to Artemis. And what else did he do? He was probably one of the ringleaders as far as helping the other business people make their shrines to Artemis. A lot of money's coming in. Now you got a guy coming along talking about Jesus, talking about we're not going to worship idols. In fact, Artemis, she's just an idol. And Demas, or Demetrius rather, is beside himself. We're introduced to him here. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Who's the way? The way are the people of God, the Christians. That's what they were called, the way. Followers of the way. You weren't called a Christian. You weren't talked about as going to the church in Ephesus. You were simply a follower of the way. If I came into town and I'm a stranger to that town, I might be reaching out to somebody that's friendly towards me and I'm saying, excuse me, I'm looking for, you know, some, some of the folks that would identify themselves as followers of the way. Do you know of anybody? And, and they say, yeah, there, there's a young woman named Jenny and she lives in this house and she has some friends of hers. You know, one of her friends is Dan, and another friend is Alan, and another friend is um, Amy, and another friend is Bobby. And, you know, there's not a small group, but they're all they're all followers of the way. They're they're actually going to be meeting later on for prayer, and you know, on on the first day of the week, they usually get together in the morning, and they meet like all day long, and they they pray and they sing. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for: followers of the way. That's what they were known as. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And he said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Okay? How's he making his money? Making a little shrine. Who's this? It's Artemis. Oh, I want one of those for my house. Yeah, Artemis is a big deal. We, we definitely want one of those. Okay. Years ago, one of the oddest things I ever saw in somebody's house. <clears throat> Walked in a house. Woman who looked like me. Her family looked like my family. And in her family room, no, off of her family room, laundry room. She had a little shrine to Buddha. She had the candle. She had a little shrine. There's Buddha. And I'm like, it's like crazy. Well, the only thing that was crazier than that, math, uh, it's a bit odd. You know, I just figured, you know, Lansdale 30 years ago, I'm not seeing too many shrines in, you know, white folk home to Buddha. 
until crazier thing I saw one day where I went into somebody's home and it happened to be either the day that Elvis died or the week that Elvis died and this woman had a shrine to Elvis. She had pictures of Elvis everywhere in this room. She had statues of Elvis everywhere. She had candles that were lit and she was in tears. She was inconsolable because Elvis had died in an overdose. And she just loved Elvis that much. I remember at some point, she said, I loved him so much. I knew it was never going to happen. But if Elvis would have ever called me and said, leave your family, leave your husband, I would have left them all in a minute to be with him. And I'm thinking, wow. That really is the heart of idolatry, isn't it? I'm willing to say goodbye to anything else that God says is off limits for something that I want. Now, we're going to continue to develop this a little bit as we see what happens with Demetrius and the other craftspeople and Paul and those that were helping with Paul. Lord willing, we'll continue with that in a few weeks. Just as a reminder, don't look for us next week on YouTube or on Spotify. We'll be absent at least for the next two weeks and possibly a third week beyond that. But thanks for listening today. May the Lord bless all of you.